What is my purpose? Are there any sins God won't forgive? What does the Bible teach about politics? Do all religions believe in the same God? What happens when I die? We all have questions, and we're going to start answering the questions you've been asking about. The Bible, culture, church, or just life in general. You asked for it. Morning. So excited uh, to kind of close out the summer here with you guys today, um, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm like massively nervous about this morning, so we should see how, how it goes uh, today. My wife was like, hey, how's it going this morning? I just didn't say anything to her. It was one of those, one of those things, but it should, be a, it should be a lot of fun, I think, um, hanging out together. Um, we are going to put a slide up real fast uh, with the phone number on it. Um, just put one of those blank ones up if you want. Um, with the phone number right here is, is if you just grab your phones, you can text message this number, uh, 508-338-4806, and just text whatever question that you have to it, um, and, uh, and, and we'll be able to just chat. And that really is about anything. Um, we've already had some questions come in uh, throughout the last few days and the last couple of weeks as we've talked about this, and, and so we've kind of compiled those, and we, we, we started that way. And there are questions all the way from the Bible to church stuff to um, why do you wear orange shoes sometimes? And, and so it's, it's been, it's been it, it should be a lot of fun, I think, hanging out uh, with you this morning in that. So while you do that, while you text message your question in, um, actually, in, in real fast, my, my lovely bride, Connie, is up in the booth today taking those questions. And, and yeah, it's, it is not Dave the sound guy. That is not my lovely wife, Connie. Uh, <laughs> my lovely wife, Connie, is behind Dave. Uh, there, uh, and, uh, but she, I, you know, we were talking about, I said, hey, baby, gonna, can you uh, interface on the questions this week? Um, I feel like that would be a good fit for the morning or whatever. And then for the rest of the week, I said only nice things, right? <laughs> I said, she, everything that, every, it's only nice. Hey, babe, you look beautiful today. Everything, oh my gosh. Um, but hey, while you do that, just a couple of things. I do want to hit that community group section real again in that, you know, over the last couple of years, um, we've had almost 80% of our entire church in a community group. Um, it's, really been, it's really been the driving force to care and connection uh, within our church. Not only are you connecting with God, but you're connecting with each other. And it's been the driving force to finding care and connection within our church. And so if you aren't in one, um, you're really missing out on, on probably a lot or most of what we do as a church. And so uh, that's really the, the primary way you're going to get connection here or provide get, get care in different ways. And so make sure you fill out one of these forms and get in one. That financial peace one, I think, is it, we had that first group that went through that uh, last in January of this past year literally saw tons of fruit um, from that one of probably one of the most life-changing things that we did as a church this year so um, really be, a, be, a, be aware of that. And then the second one, on your bullet, in your bulletin, um, we are doing our church-wide survey again this year. Just yearly, we've been doing that. We just want to hear from you. Um, we have a lot of open-ended questions in this one because we want you just to fill out and write out whatever you need to write out. And so on this church-wide survey, make sure you grab some stuff there and uh, uh, make sure you grab one of those. You can turn that into the connections desk on your way out today, um, because if not, it's going to sit on your dashboard probably, right, for a little while, or maybe in the back or whatever. Um, it's going to sit in your Bible, and you, in like four years, you're going to be like, oh, wow, I wonder if they still need this information. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, definitely fill this out today. Drop that off, and I think we'd love to hear from you. We had about 40 of you fill out the form already. Um, online through our newsletter. So that's going to go out again this week. Uh, don't worry, we'll, we'll send you a couple of reminders. Uh, but we'd love to hear from you this week on that. All right, cool. So without further ado, um, we're going to do a 
Q&A, live Q&A. So I don't know what's coming, right? So this is, I don't know what's coming. Whatever shows up on that screen, we're going to talk about for a few months. And then if you want your question to show up on that screen, text that number, 508-338-4806, and we'll be able to do that. I got my phone in case I say something stupid so the elders can text me. Um, <laughs> and I, I have, um, and then in case I go way over as well. And then I also have a Bible here. This is the Bible that you have in your seat, so I don't have any, uh, any uh notes or anything. Um, but in case I need to turn to a passage, I'll have you turn it with me as well. Um, and if not, you know, and it'll be fun. A lot of times I say, uh, I want to have coffee with all of you. Time doesn't allow for that. So I have my coffee here and we'll see how it goes today. All right. So I am ready for my first question. What is your anniversary day? <laughs> That's what happens when you have your wife run the question. <laughs> What's funny about this, our, our anniversary is August 27th, 2011. What's funny about it is two things. One, our photographer put the wrong date on there, so we often get mixed up with August 28th, 2011. Two, and I, I'm, it's funny because I'm a pastor, and so I do weddings all the time, but we forgot our wedding license, right? So two days before, I realized, oh, we need our wedding license. Um, and so we actually couldn't get our wedding license until a couple days after the actual wedding. Um, and so we were like, uh, just, uh, okay. <laughs> so we ended up getting that uh, all taken care of. So I think our actual, like, we could actually start paying taxes together somewhere in September. Um, but, but we consecrated it before the Lord on August 27th, right? So <laughs> praise the Lord. All right. Question number two. Do you steal your sermons? Now, believe it or not, this is funny, but I actually get this one every once in a while. Um, the, I don't steal my sermons. I research all of my sermons. Um, periodically, what I'll do, though, is if someone said it so much better than I will, I will give that person credit, um, and I'll just steal their sermon. So every once in a while, I do do that. But I'll say, hey, Rick Warren, I did that last year during the Lost in Translation series. I preached a sermon that Rick Warren legitimately preached at his church, but I said, Rick Warren preached this at his church, and I thought it was so good, I just wanted to share it with you. Um, and so those are the only times I would steal a sermon, um, but I do listen to a lot of preaching. And so periodically, what I'll do is if someone has a great section in there, um, I'll bring that into a talk um, in, some different, in some different ways. So I listen to probably six or seven different preachers on a consistent basis, just so that I can um, you know, see, see what they're doing. That's also how I am, one of my best, like the, one of the ways I grow the most is through preaching, um, and so I'll listen to uh, preaching, teaching quite a bit, and uh, that's where I end up uh, doing that. But no, I don't steal my sermons. I, I research all of them. I spend about eight to ten hours on every teaching, um, and, uh, and it's been, it's, it's actually been a very fruitful and love, uh, life-giving thing for me to do that. So I love, love being primarily a teacher. I, I'm primarily a teacher in that. So no, I don't steal my sermons. Next question. Is the message version of the Bible acceptable to read? All right, yes. All right, yes, it is. I would say yes, it is. Um, it depends on, you, it, it really, whoever asked the question, it kind of shows me a little bit about your background. Because sometimes if, if you wrestle with that, um, you probably came from a more conservative background who said that's not a version of the Bible. 
um, Eugene Peterson, when he wrote that, um, he wrote it because he was in a Bible study with men who didn't want to read the Bible. And so he st- what he started doing, which is an incredible amount of care um, for his congregation, um, he, he pastored a church for 30 years uh, down in Maryland, he, he translated the Bible for these 15 men that he met with weekly. And then that, he did it over the course of 20 years and then eventually released it. And I, I think it's a fine version to read. I, uh, but we don't study necessarily from it because it is a lot of paraphrasing. And so he, it is very readable and accessible. Um, but if we really, to, the, more, the more standard translations um, are a little bit easier to access in, uh, in a Bible study method. So we always do three. We, I, always, I always range between three. In our seats right now, we have the New Living Translation. That's the most paraphrased. They do a thought-by-thought translation. And so they don't go word-for-word through the Bible. They go thought-by-thought. So they'll, like, read a sentence or two. They'll they'll kind of sit back, right, what's the best way to translate that from Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic into English? So that's paraphrased. Um, The middle of the road is the NIV, the New International Version. They do both. They do thought-by-thought and word-for-word. And so they're going to find themselves in, in different ideas and uh, different ways all throughout that. And then the most, uh, I, I would say, most conservative reading that I use all the time is the English Standard Version. Um, I actually preached out of that for the first year as the pastor here. Um, the English Standard Version is word for word. And so there, that's the range. So between thought for thought with NLT, uh, both and um, in, in NIV, and then the ESV, the other, those are the three that I stay in. And then if I, know, if I want to really know how to colorfully teach or say something, I use the message. I'll read the message as a way to uh, describe what's going on. So, yes, absolutely. I, 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 it's a lot easier to read the book of Numbers in the message, honestly. Just if, if, if you're looking to read the book of Numbers this week, give it a shot. It's, it's easier in the message. What is the best part about leading the church and what is the worst? Um, okay, so my favorite part um, is teaching the Bible. I love, love, love teaching the Bible. When I, when I felt like I wanted to do this with my life, um, the Lord took me to the book of Ezekiel where he said, eat this scroll and give life from it. And so that's really where I felt like my ministry start, uh, uh, started. And uh, it was through the book, through Ezekiel chapter two. And then on the back half of Ezekiel chapter two said, I'm gonna pluck you up and put you in places you don't wanna be which is always fun, but I do want to be here. It's, a, it's, it's interesting. I just thought it was an interesting part of that chapter. Um, and then the, and so the, so I love, love, love teaching the Bible um, to you. And I love learning about your lives so I can close the gap between the Bible and your life. And so I like to interact with all of that in different ways. Um, the hardest part, or the, I would say the worst part, the hardest part is, 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 is the administrative aspect at different times. I think it's leading an organization at, of this size um, is actually uh, has its challenges, you know, for, for all of you business leaders out there. That's, that's the hardest part, I think, of the job. Um, you know, making sure all the communications are in place, making sure the volunteers know where to go, making sure all, you know, all of the, the stuff that happened when you have, you know, a volunteer force of a little, just around 200 people. I mean, think about an organization of 200 employees or 200. I mean, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of people that, that are interacting with. So that's the hardest part of the job. And then periodically, man, just hear, sometimes hearing just what you guys are going through, it's tough to, um, you know, just it's heartbreaking sometimes to, have, to, to hear some, from someone in a real challenge. But the joy of it is when they can see Christ in the midst of circumstances that are challenging. Man, that's just, but it's heartbreaking sometimes to hear kind of what you're going through and, and how you're wrestling with what it means to be, the, what it means to be um, 
a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. I think that's, a, that's, a, that's hard to hear sometimes. But I think that's, those are the hardest aspects. They're not the worst, but they're hard. Um, but just, yeah, the, my, my joy, if, if we could just hang out and drink coffee and talk about the Bible all day, I'd be cool, man. That would be a lot of fun. Um, that'd be like a dream job for me. But, um, you know, obviously that's not how it, how it is all the time. So, great. Next question. How do you feel the churches today from one year ago? What are you most proud about our church? Okay, I've said this since the beginning. I am most proud of our church when I see it flexing its missional muscle. And what I mean by that is I will say, hey, um, we need help here. And like 50 of you show up. And because I think a lot of you are serving from the fuel of discipleship. You just love Jesus. You understood Jesus loved you, so you're serving other people. And so... When I first started coming, or when I first when I first joined uh, three years ago, um, the the elders and the elders and uh, and Pastor Dennis told me about everything that is happening, and I just thought, gosh, that's such a, for me that's such a healthy reading of the Bible. It's such a healthy uh, uh, release, or, or, or uh, it's a healthy connection with mission. It's so good to to hear um, everything that's going on, and so I, I'm just always proud when I watch. People do that. Even with the Hope Center, man, we, we have like a, a workforce of like 30, 35 already um, going there. And that's, gonna, that's a long-term play. When you're like, I'm going to go put myself in the middle of a neighborhood and serve the community, you don't just get to pull out of that one day. Um, you don't, that's, that's, that, think about a relationship. You, know, you don't go in and out of relationships like that. You build relationships. And so watching you guys uh, flex your missional muscle, respond to teaching, I think, is an incredible thing. I mean, I've been at some churches where, where I teach, and literally, I might as well go teach to the cinder blocks in the back of the wall, I, like, where, where it just feels like there's nothing happening, nothing being changed. Um, but, uh, but, I mean, when I, for, you know, for instance, uh, giving series, the giving series that we taught last year, if you were here for that, um, that was like some, that was a lot of teaching on giving. In a lot of churches, they shy away from giving as a, as, a, as, a, as a way of discipleship or as a what to talk about. And in our church, that was the first time we had talked about that in years. Um, and when we walked through that, that series, there was such a healthy response. It wasn't like, I can't believe you want my money. Oh my gosh, pastor, you, know, you just want to buy new cars and do new things to the building. It, there was none of that. There was, there was literally a response to the gospel that in your heart and you gave from that. And I, literally, my wife and I, would that, that five weeks we taught on that last November, we would sit back week after week after week and just literally be blown away by the way you respond to the Bible. I, literally, I just feel like that's such a soft-hearted, like just a great response, a humble response to when the teaching of the Bible. I just, just enjoy that. Um, how do you feel the church is today from a year ago? I think we're doing, we're transitioning, right? So a year ago, uh, two years ago, I was the, uh, I was this. I was a 28-year-old pastor um, where I just we just started out. You know, we we had, we had just started out, started going through everything, um, and then a year uh, a year into that, we felt like, man, this is there's been a, there's been some transition. I felt like this past year was some more transition, um, and so I think we are transitioning. Um, and with transition, there's a lot of uh, joys, and then there's some pain sometimes because you have to say, okay, things are changing. In order for the Lord to do some more, in order for him to entrust us to steward people well, in order to, for him to trust, to trust us to steward finances and other sorts of uh, organizational items, in order for him to do that, 
there's some changing and some morphing and some shifting. And I, I really think that that brings about some joys uh, because I've talked to some of you, you're like, this, is, this church is an answer to my prayers. And not just my prayers for like the last month because I don't like my church or I, like, I was missing something in my life. No, no, no. But the last 10 years of my life, I've been wanting to be a part of a community like this. And, and so I can't believe it. And then sometimes I talk to you, you guys and you're like, Put the tissues back in the seats, please. I mean, can you put the tissues back in the seats? Why are the tissues there anymore? You know, like I hear about the tissues every week since, since we changed it, right? And so, so you have this like, can you please put the tissues back, right? And obviously, the, so the tissues, though, are a symbol sometimes of a, of, of the, of a, of a uh, just a, a change, a symbol, just something that's, that's changing. You know, when you have things like that that change, it brings about some, you know, things are different, things are, there's a, things are changing. So I would say we are transitioning well. I think we're, we're doing extremely well when it comes to transitioning in a very humble way. We're all kind of open-handed in that. Um, that's why we do these surveys, though, so that we can get feedback and kind of do some more tweaking and morphing as we go. Um, but I'm really excited about the future of our church, and I hope you are too. I, I really am excited about that. So, yeah. What is our eschatology? All right, let me define that word for 90% of the people in this room first. Now, our eschatology is view of the end times. View of the end times. Um, and so I guess the technical would be, the a theological phrase for it would be amillennial or amillennial. Um, more of a view of that where we believe that, the, that heaven and earth, um, at Revelation 21 and 22, they're going to be descended upon earth here. And so our view of the end times is that we are anxiously waiting for heaven and earth to be made one again. And so we're looking forward to that. We're longing for that. Um, uh, one, one of our open-handed items that we often interact with is that we, we, we don't have a view of the rapture that a lot of maybe more, maybe more dispensational churches have um, or whatever, or, or maybe more conservative churches in different ways where we aren't looking for the a rapture before the, uh, before the millennium, before the, um, before, before the seven years of wrath take place. And so we, we aren't looking for that sort of thing. Um, but what we are looking forward to is the whole thing wrapping up with Jesus on this throne um, and, him, and him recreating the world in a way that which he originally intended it. So we're looking forward to that um, in that way. So our view of the end times is, is more amillennial in that and uh, it you know, kind of interacts with us. What it does is it actually informs the way we serve the world because we believe that God created the world good. Um, and his original intention for the world, there's purpose and meaning. And so he's bringing about the, the marrying of the heaven and earth together. He's bringing that about through the church and its work and through salvation and through all of that. And so we're a part of that and, and, and interacting with that. Our eschatology, though, I'd put in more of an open-handed well, I often use that illustration when I'm talking about theology because there's close-handed items, like Jesus is fully human, fully divine. If you come to me and you kind of question that, we're going to have some pretty major conversations to have here. You can still come here, but you're probably not going to serve in any sort of major leadership capacity or you're not going to do uh, much when it comes to speaking or teaching or even probably communicating in a community group or anything like that. Because that was what we would call a national border. You kind of need a passport to go in and out of that one. But open-handed, within the country, you can go between states very well. And so state to state, um, sometimes eschatology, we bump into that. 
Um, sometimes, we, um, but the major agenda that we all have is that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he loves everybody and he wants to see all people come to faith in him um, and that we have purpose with that salvation to serve the world around us. That's our agenda. So any, anyone that would really have a strong agenda other than that, we would probably have some pause with anyway, um, but, but that's, uh, that's a major way. So that would be very much open-handed. Um, we still have great community with people of that because honestly, um, I had a buddy of mine that would always tell me, hey, we are just pan-trib. Um, we're not post-trib, we're not pre-trib, we're not mid-trib, we're just pan-trib because at the end it's all gonna pan out the way that God sees it. So it kind of works out that way. I thought, I said, hey, that's a, uh, that is a, a terrible theological statement, but, but I love that because honestly, like I said a couple weeks ago when I, when, when I preached a sermon, what happens when we die? Um, when I preach that sermon, basically all of this is are little guideposts into a big old fog um, that are, that's, that's, that's happening down the road. And, uh, and we're going to all go through that together. There's no, there's really, that, that, that topic balances us all out. And so uh, we're going to be moving through that um, uh, together in that. But we don't, we don't know for sure, obviously. So we'll see. Um, that's a good eschatology. We'll see um, what happens at the end there. Uh, no, but that, I guess we would label ourselves more, more of, uh, in that, but like I said, we would, it's just very open-handed. So anyway, good, that's a great question. Good job. Who are two of your favorite preachers you listen to and learn from? Okay, so these change all the time. Um, these change all the time, but uh, I got two, probably two constants that have, that have worked their way in quite a bit. Number one is Matt Chandler. Um, Matt Chandler is from the Village Church in, uh, in, in Texas, Flower Mound, and a couple other campuses. Uh, but Matt does a great job, I think, really inspiring men um, in, in preaching, uh, really inspiring uh, biblical truth uh, in preaching and teaching as well. Um, so I've always really enc- been encouraged by Matt and how he does. And then Matt, it seems like he always has like a, a teaching right, right when uh, God's getting ready to punch me in the face with something and uses his teaching to do that, um, which is always... Um, humbling um, and exciting, but uh, uh, yeah, Matt's been a great, um, Matt Chandler's been a great resource uh, from that. Um, <clears throat> we've, uh, I've, I've often listened to guys like Andy Stanley or Perry Noble, um, uh, every once in a while, Stephen Furtick, uh, I'll listen to a T.D. Jakes sermon every once in a while, just to, because who doesn't want to preach like T.D. Jakes? I mean, honestly, like, I don't know if you know who T.D. Jakes is, if you don't, just go look him up afterwards. I've always been like, you know, hey, touch your neighbor and say, you know, like I've always I'm just not that, I'm just a, a, a boring white kid from New England, so they're kind of a little bit different. But, so I was a while listen to that. Back in the day, you know, uh, back in the day, I haven't listened to him in, in a number of days now. I used, to, I used to listen to Rob Bell quite a bit um, in my initial college days and college years. Um, obviously, he's shifted in some ways uh, since then, and, and I haven't really listened to him a ton. Um, uh, since then, but but really before him, the Lord used his ministry to really color up my uh, color up my my world a little bit. And uh, I'm trying to think who else. Oh, you know what? John Tyson uh, from Trinity Grace Church in New York City. Actually, he, he's part of Church Church of the City. It's called um, Church Church of the City um, in New York City. Um, really incredible teacher um, about, he, he, came, he has a very similar story as I do, so that's why I think I kind of connect with him. Um, he, he grew up charismatic um, and, then, and then bumped into seminary and said, okay, well, my, I had a very experiential faith and now I have a very um, uh, 
now a very heady faith and kind of put the two together. So John Tyson's another really, really good one. And plus, he's got an Australian accent. And if you have an accent, you just sound smarter, right? That's, I, also try, I often try to do that, you know, just to throw on an accent. It doesn't, the New England accent every once in a while doesn't, make, make, doesn't have the same effect, you know, as a, as a British accent does. But uh, I try that every once in a while. Anyway, yeah, so those, those are my, you know, probably right now be Chandler and Tyson would be my two go-tos. What has been a time in your life when you felt most, felt most moved by God? Okay. Um, gosh, I wish I had the time to tell this whole story. Um, I've, had, I've had a few. Um, I remember, you know, again, I grew, up, I grew up charismatic. And so what I love about Pentecostals is, is that they truly and deeply believe that God still acts and God is still moving. And I, I love that about my, about, um, my upbringing because I grew up with an expectant faith. I grew up like it wasn't like God's somewhere else and one day we're going to interact. We just, and he just expects our worship from him once a week. Our, our, we, he expects our worship for, to him once a week. I grew up with an understanding of the Bible and of God that said God is going to do something in your life and you need to be expectant of that. And so when I would show up to a gathering, it wasn't like I, I can't wait for the coffee. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that. It was, I can't wait for God to change me today, right? So that's how I started. Like, that was like my first, first, you know, we had an incredibly healthy community at the church I was growing up at, and, and so really loved the people there, still very good friends with a lot of them. My, my youth pastor growing up, I have coffee with every, every other month, um, pr- probably, probably would still consider him my pastor at this point in time, um, still very pastoral in my life, um, and so which is, which is incredible in and of itself given the pastoral framework in today's world, but that's another sermon for another day. But, but um, so I had that, expect, that expectation all the time. That's something I try to give out here, that our gatherings or just our, our relationship with God is not stale, it's not static, that he wants to change you, he wants to move you, he wants to do something. And so I always had that, that frame. So there's, I, there's a bunch of little stories that I could share, but, but probably the most meaningful, there's, there's two or three of them, but recent, of recent history, is the summer before I moved here, I moved back here, because I, I grew up here, if you guys don't know my story, I grew up here in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and then I moved to Pennsylvania, um, and then I moved back here with my family three years ago. Um, but the summer and the few months before moving up here was probably some of the most difficult uh, months as we were transitioning out of the church and transitioning into this church. And, and God truly met me in, in just the raw truth of the gospel, that I was a sinner apart from him. I'm dead apart from him, but the, his grace infuses me with life. Like just the basic truth for three or four months, I felt like I had nothing else that I could actually explore about God except for that. Um, and I've interacted with that many times throughout my life, but but those few months leading up to that, I, I probably, I spent more time crying, more time on my knees, more time just uh, interacting with that truth. I, you know, I, actually, I just read a, a journal that from that time frame of my life where I just, and I was still moved by the things that I was writing about, still moved by the things that I was, that I was, that I was seeing at that time um, because I, I really felt like God opened, like literally changed me in the course of three to four months, um, just the way I responded to both things. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably the probably the most recent time um, where we interacted with that. But it's it, the Lord has been a, 
the Lord, the Lord, the Lord was close during that time for sure. So, why don't we have altar calls to help us make different stages of commitment during worship? That's a great, great, great question. All right, again, so I grew up Pentecostal and charismatic. One of the downfalls, I think, of that is our sometimes the altar serves as our moment of commitment and then we leave it at the altar. We kind of take that verse in scripture a little too seriously sometimes where we say leave it at the altar, you know, and then we would, we would, and then we would teach about it sometimes in our churches like that. We'll come leave everything at the altar. And there's a few things that I think are, I don't think they're bad. Um, I just don't think they're always the, the avenue in which we have uh, a useful, uh, a, a useful moment. For, for a couple reasons. One, pastorally, a lot of times the, the pastors that I was uh, interacting with growing up or the pastors, uh, not at my church so much, um, but really at, at, when I, especially when I got into college, especially when I got into, um, when I got into my first couple years of ministry, the size of the altar call became the level of success for the gathering. Um, and I never wanted to do that. I never wanted to say, hey, look, 50 people came to the altar today. Um, I wanted to say 50 people met Jesus today and their, life's are, their lives are changed. Um, I wanted there to be different levels of, different elements of success uh, for the church. I didn't want the altar call, the size of the altar call, the response to the altar call. Because a lot of times what pastors will do when they use altar calls is they will gauge that as a response to the teaching. And, and honestly, pastors are too fickle for that. <laughs> we're just a little too, um, we're just a little too uh, uh, sensitive, for, I think, for that information right away. Um, but the, I didn't want that level of success to be what the gathering was all about. Two, um, when it comes to altar calls, um, I don't want you to come leave it at the altar. I don't want you to do that. I want you to go take it and go do something with it. Um, so when I teach on serving, I don't want you to come pray about serving. I want you to go read the Bible and see that God says to go love, neighbors, love your neighbor as yourself. We don't have to pray about that, right? So we don't have to pray about that. We don't have to ask God what he thinks. I remember I was talking, again, my youth pastor growing up, and uh, he goes, hey, you're going to come on this missions trip with us. And I said, hey, I'm going to pray about that. And he goes, where in the world did you get the idea that God wants you to pray about going to serve people in another country that need help? And I said, you're right. Thanks. Thanks for that. I needed that. Right? I mean, think about that. Do I need to go pray about serving the people that live next to me? Do I need to go pray about, no, you don't. You know why? Because the Bible already teaches that you need to do that. I can't, I can't imagine that, you, like, when you sit down for prayer at that moment, he'd be like, hey, look, read, read your Bible. I've, I've talked about that already. Um, but I don't want you to come pray about serving. I don't want you, but I think there are moments when you need some intimate type of connections with the Lord. Um, and so we have done some different prayer. I think our elder-led prayer is going to be a great time for that. Um, uh, for that. Two, uh, uh, probably a third reason is a, more of a logistical reason. Um, uh, so, sometimes sometimes this, this property gets really, really, really full. Um, and, and we've had to you know, make changes in order to, to, to do that. Um, and so having uh, maybe 100 people something like, kind of hanging out over, uh, in different spots of the building um, sometimes we just need to add a few more parking spaces to make that super tangible. Um, but, but, but the first two are probably the major things that I would focus on to say, I don't want you to necessarily pray about everything um, that you think you, that you, that you might be tension, that you might be struggling with when it comes to a teaching. 
Don't, don't take half that sentence and say, Brandon doesn't want me to pray about everything, okay? I don't want you to pray about everything necessarily when it comes to response to teaching. I want you to do something too. Um, so that's good. Um, and then, again, there's, there's multiple things. I, think, I just think philosophically there's different parts of it that, that I think will pr- that play to us solving problems here but then never having to actually go change things out there. Okay, I think that, that is a big, and I watch that a lot um, and to where I said, I'm not sure if that's the best place for it. But it is, I don't doubt it, a, a sign of comfort and in an in a, in a act of comfort for a lot of people that they can come and deal with that sort of thing in prayer. Um, again, and then lastly, I mean, I just, yeah, you know what, I've, there's a, a lot more reasons than I thought. Um, I, again, I would watch people too use it as a symbol, of, like a status symbol. Like they would tell people how, how, how meaningful their worship is. Sometimes where they would come to the altar, um, and I've watched that be uh, a little bit more showmanship than actual genu- genuine passion. And so I, I've, I've just seen that kind of struggle. And so we haven't, we haven't offered that necessarily as a response time because of, uh, uh, there's, there's a lot at play there. But all that said, that doesn't mean we haven't done in the past. We've done probably three or four since I've been here in the last three years um, where we say, come, come to the altar and pray. Um, and then we've also done moments of prayer, like the elder-led prayer night we started last month, which we'll do every, every, the last Sunday of every month. Um, we're going to do that time as a, uh, as a more of an interaction with that. So anyway, longer response there, but that was good. I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, altar girls. When reading the Bible, how do you figure out what parts to read literally and what parts to read poetically? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. In January this year, uh, well, next year, 2018, Jan- late January, early February, I'm going to be doing a four-week Bible 101 class um, uh, right here in the Worship Center. It's going to be in between our group semesters, um, but we're going to be talking about that a lot. This is probably a bigger answer than I have time to go into here, but there are genres in the Bible, um, and we have to read the genre as the genre, right? So Genesis 1 um, is often, it, Genesis 1 is a poem, right? So we have to understand um, what's going on to that. Doesn't mean we don't believe in creation. Doesn't mean we don't believe in some, some more creation science in that. That's not what I'm saying. But Genesis 1 in, in and of itself is a Hebrew poem. And so we have to consider that sort of thing as we go through that. The Song of Solomon is a poem, right? It's a poem about lovers. Um, and so you have, a, you have this interaction. We have to read it a, a certain way. It often brings a ton of light to the Bible, and actually it helps provide a depth to that. Um, but in terms of how to figuring out, um, it, it takes some study to figure out what part of speech that you're reading. Um, when, you're, when you're reading some Old Testament stuff, what, New Testament is primary letters, and so you're going to be reading it like you're reading a letter to, from your friend, um, and you're going to try to read it in one sitting and all that sort of thing. And then t- a lot of Old Testament stuff, there is some more poetry in there. There's more uh, just Hebrew, syn- like a, a Hebrew syntax where you have to understand the structure um, of it. And, and so there's just, that just takes some study um, and some good tools to help you uh, peruse through that. Uh, let's take a couple more. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll finish up. Do you believe that there could be any judgment in recent natural disasters? Where is God in these events? I don't believe that God is judging the world um, through this. And I, 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 don't, uh, I don't think, I think, he, I think he judged the world one time through a natural disaster, and then he said he'll never do it again. Um, and so when you see rainbows, um, as corny as that might sound to you, uh, that's, still a, that's still a judgment, that's still a statement, I think, from God. Um, so no, I don't think he's judging the world. I, where, God in natural disasters um, is, a, is a sign of Genesis 3. Um, God is present 
uh, in caring and hoping and providing answers to, to people. Um, I think, though, what we often do in these moments is we, is we are playing with our own, uh, you know, our own, this, this isn't just natural, natural disasters. I think there's any major circumstance in your life that might be super negative, you're, you're kind of at a spot where you are, are forced to deal with your own humanity. And because I think you're at the, at the core of who you are is the broken image of God, you're going to go to God at some point. You're going to question whether there is one. You're going to say why. But I think what maturity is going to lead you to do, if you're maturing in faith, instead of saying who are you or, or where are you, you're going to ask what now? You're going to ask what now, God? How are you going to, 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 to grow this situation? How are you going to provide hope in the midst of this situation? Not whether you are, because I think if we understand, if we have any sort of history with God, you're going to see how he interacts with us on a daily basis. And so the goal here is, is to not use him in these moments, but to make sure we're walking through him so that we know that he's not changing at all when these situations come up. A lot of times we use God as a tool in the tool belt. And so we've got to pull out the hammer when we need the hammer. We've got to pull out the razor cutter when we need the cutter. Um, we, we need to pull out the, the, we need the drill when we need the drill. Um, and, and a lot of times God is that for us. And so we get into these natural disasters and we get into these moments and we say, okay, God, well, now, we need the God, now we need the God tool. Because why in the world are you doing this? Two, the question why kind of underneath it has, has an understanding that, that, God, you owe me something and I'm not getting you what you owe me. I'm not getting from you what, I, what, what you owe me. And, and I think the Christian story is going to teach us um, that God doesn't owe us anything and that we have a lot of grace from him. And so in these moments, I think it's important to say, okay, God, what now? Um, where are you in the midst of like more, more of the question is how are you going to show up? And how are you going to make sense of this situation for me? Or how are you going to make developments in that? And, 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 and the support for that statement is, is a lot of the mature Christians, uh, a lot of the Christians that move through major circumstances that I watch, even in our church right now, they'll come in here on Sundays and they'll praise and worship their hearts out because they're so grateful in the midst of their circumstances um, uh, for, for, God, for a God that's actually interacting with their life. Um, for a God that's actually changing them in a major way. Uh, you watch people who, are, who have been through sickness, who have been through some sort of crisis, some, whether it's financial or physical or emotional, and they're still in the midst saying, God, you are still the answer. You're still the source of my life. And the question is more what now versus why. Uh, and so, no, I don't think he's, he's judging um, anything that's happening um, I, I, I do think we're trying to figure out the answers to this, and that's why we're going to go to God. Uh, and then, too, I, I think a lot of pastors need to take watch over what they say in moments like this um, and, and a, in a major way. So just kind of trying to provide major answers. Um, a lot of times you say, I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. I know, but I do know that God is faithful, and I'm not sure how he's going to prove that here, but I know he will. Um, so I think that's a major way uh, we begin to see that. All right, one more. And then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. Are there any areas of scripture that you shy away from? Um, yeah, eschatology. <laughs> um, I stay away from that one quite, quite often. 
until I get asked about it in front of a room of people. Um, so, no, well, you know, so Daniel Revelation is uh, tough. Um, is, 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 well, it's just a tough thing to study. Jew, it's, it's a part of a genre called Jewish apocalyptic literature. And uh, that was basically signs and symbols of the day and time. And they would, they would use signs and symbols to provide care and hope and comfort for people that are struggling. And so, it, like, people at that time had, had a hard time deciphering Jewish apocalyptic because it was symbols. Um, and so, and now we're 2,000 years removed from the events that they were often shedding light on, and all the more difficult, all the more difficulty that we would have to establish that sort of idea. And so, Daniel Revelation, the, the back half of Daniel, love, you know, love the first half, you know, uh, kids' stories galore, back half a little bit more, um, a little bit more crazy. Um, and then back half of Daniel and the book of Revelation is, is, is really something I'm going to tackle, I think, and study over the next year or two. Um, I have that on my list of something I really want to dive into um, in that. Um, often, uh, the, I often shy away from um, uh, the, trying to figure out the difference between um, uh, predestination and free will. Uh, because I think a lot of people uh, struggle with this idea that God is all-knowing um, and for, he's foreknowing and at the same time it has a plan for all things. And so uh, a lot of times the answer to that question is yes, I guess. You know, like, yes, I, you know, I don't know uh, how the, the, the almighty God of the universe plays his hand between predestination and, uh, and free will. I don't know how he does that. Um, all I know is that there's interactions between both, you know, so it's a pretty short answer uh, in comparison to a, a lot of the books that have been written. But, but I, I, you know, that one I've, I've always interacted with a little bit on a, uh, on a middle-of-the-road thing as well. Um, and then, man, I have just have, again, I just have a hard time with some of the Old Testament law, and that's just not because of, uh, not because of anything, just because it's kind of boring, and I have a hard time reading about it, and I bet you've never heard a pastor say that from the stage. You know, I don't, maybe if you have and you haven't, I don't know. Um, but uh, it's just, I have a hard time reading through I like reading about it, because there's more stuff going on behind it, uh, but I have a hard time getting through that section of the Bible when I read it. So, um, and we'll be good. All right, well, hey, I hope that was fun um, and helpful. Uh, yeah, that's, I thought... Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing together, and, and then we're going to go hang out uh, at the, uh, in the field and, and have a picnic together. Um, Shane Matlock is here with his waffles, which I think is uh, amazing. Um, and we have another, uh, well, I, I, think, I think anyway, another food truck is, is out there as well. Um, we'd love to just hang out with you and, and chill with you for a little bit. Again, don't forget groups um, as we kick off the fall here next week. Hey, hey, next week. Two gatherings next week, right? Say it with me. Two, two gatherings next week, 8.30 and 10.30, right? Um, September 17th is when it starts. Um, and uh, don't forget the survey and the groups, and I think we'll be good. Jesus, Jesus, we love you.